Bruce Cook is honored to have you join his conversations with people committed to talking with heart and brain functions in full operating gear. No spin, no agenda, just authentic conversation on just about anything. Welcome to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Meet author, comic, and pediatric dentist Mike King on his best-selling book, Dad Spelled Backwards. A funny, smart, and heart-wrenching journey to have a child leading to adoption and every possible challenge along the path. A must-read for parents in the same struggle and a great read inspiring everyone else. The Bruce Cook Conversation with your host, Bruce Cook. Trending now, here's your host, Bruce Cook. Brought to you by the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue. Radio friends, it's Bruce Cook tonight, Sunday night, Angels Radio, AMA 30. Thank you, thank you so much for spending the next hour with me on the conversation. So, a week ago, a really good friend who happens to be a very big Hollywood publicist sent me a book. And the woman said, you need to read this book. And I said, why do I need to read this book? And she said, because, Bruce, you're going to really need to have a good laugh, and you're going to have a need to have a good cry, and you're going to need to be inspired because you get a lot of crummy books that I sent you, but not this one. So I said, Pam, I'm going to read your book. And I did, ladies and gentlemen. I read the book. And on this radio station tonight, the Bruce Cook Conversation is going to interview the gentleman that wrote this book. And you are going to drop dead laughing, and you're going to feel something, and you, too, are going to be inspired. I can't say enough about this little 200-page book that has absolutely nothing to do with my life or anything that I particularly care about, know about, or feel. It's amazing. So with that, let me tell you a little bit about the book and who's going to join us from New York City in just a minute. The book is called Dad, D-A-D. You know that name. Actually, the title is Dad Spelled Backward. So if that doesn't give you an idea of the, br the brilliance uh, of the simplicity and the funniness of this story, it certainly will. It's written by a man named Michael King. Michael King actually happens to be a very successful pediatric dentist in New York City. But in his spare time, he has become a very successful stand-up comic in New York clubs and also clubs around the country. I admitted to Pam, who sent me the book, that I'd never heard of Michael King, and I thought I'd heard of a lot of successful comics. I even know a few successful dentists, but not Michael King. So I checked him out online. There's not a whole lot there, but there's enough. And after reading the book, I knew that I had to talk to Michael King. So tonight, live from New York, 9 o'clock, it's getting late. He's got to get up early in the morning to show up at his dental, dental office to take care of a lot of, lot of kids that need their teeth looked at because, as Michael King states, there's no crying in dentistry. He joins us now, all of us, here in California. Michael, welcome. Thank you, Bruce, and what an introduction. I hope my wife listened to that. 
I hope so. Because we're going to talk about your wife a whole bunch on this show tonight because that's a lot of what this book is about. Uh, it's strongly about her. Strongly about her. Gabriella, Gabriella King, or Gabby, as you referred to in the book. But you said in the book that nobody except her parents, her brother, and you get to call her Gabby. Is that still true? Uh, that's pretty much true. Yes. Pretty much. You know, what, what, about, what about Isabella? What does Isabella call Gabby? Uh, she calls her mommy, mom, you know, um, that's pretty much it. How old is Isabella now? Uh, she is 13. Wow. Going on 26. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, this book is about the journey that Michael and Gabriella took to have a child. He was older, she was younger. And when they married in New York, they had a pretty great life. But soon, they wanted a baby. Firstly, Gabby wanted the child. Michael had to grow into it. We're going to talk about that. Just to fill you in, because I started off without any information, Isabella is the child that they finally adopted. In the book, I believe, she is just being adopted. And towards the end of the book, she's as much as four years old. Now, Michael, you say she's 13. 13. Talk to me about her life. Well, actually, we adopted her at two days. Um, two days old. Um, we traveled to Indiana um, and very much uh, the end of a long journey, which I'm sure you'll get into. We're going to get into that, yes. So, And now she's 13 and goes to a private school in Manhattan. Um one of the reasons I haven't given up dental drilling as yet. And um, Is that know, because she, she has bad teeth or because you need to support the private school tuition? It's, it's, she, her teeth aren't bad. It could be better, <laughs> you know. I think we're, you know, a little lax in that department. But, no, she's, you know, the private school and, you know, it, it's Manhattan. It's, it's, it's expensive to raise a kid, even if you, you know. Even if uh, you're rich, private, it's expensive. Yes, yes. Even if you have money, uh, it's expensive. You know, uh, you know. I, I, it's not like any other place. I'm sure there's private schools out there that you know are comparable to the ones here. But but it's very expensive. You know, the parking is not that I'm boasting, but you know, it's six hundred dollars a month just to park your car. So you know, at some point, you know, we have to make a decision if we're going to stay in Manhattan or leave at some point. You know, you want green. Not enough green here for my wife. She likes, uh, you know, she's from Normandy, and uh, she, you know, we have a place there that she did all her own. She bought this 1735 old rectory and gutted it, and so she likes spending time out there. She likes the quiet. Well, that's going to be your green for the time being, but right. anyway, I'm really happy to hear that uh, Isabella is doing well. She's 13. That's an amazing age. In the, towards the end of your book, Dad, spelled backwards, you get very sentimental and poignant uh, writing about the fact that as an older father, having a child for the first time at middle age, you didn't know that you would make it to see graduations from high school or college or wedding days or all of the things that come to a younger dad who has children in his 20s or perhaps 30s. At this point in your life, I believe... You're 72 or 3? Yes. 
close enough. How does it feel? Well, you know, originally I would tell people that uh, I wanted to be around for elementary school graduation. I thought that, you know, as a joke. But now I'm in good health, so, you know, things are working out. You know, but having a teenager, you know, I mean, when you have a little one, you know, you see kids. And you go, ah, oh, you know, but now it's more, uh, you know, it, it's, it's tough having a teenager. Everybody warns you. It's worse than me. paying $600 a month to park your car. <laughs> it's, and much scarier. It's a lot, you know, it's a lot of eye rolling. You know, I one, one mom summed it up. She said, and I'll never forget this. She said to me about her daughter, she's nice to everyone but me. You know, and it's tough. It's, you know, they're very opinionated. You know, it it takes a lot of calmness and, you know, talking through things to, you know, I don't know if you have teenagers or went through that stage, but it, it's it's enormously tough. But, well, you, you know, know, you put in all the time, you, you know, all those years, you know, 10 years where everything was great and, oh, they did what you want, they wore the clothes you wanted, and, you know, so it, it's already that bond, that connection, there's nothing. So even if they poked you in the ear with a fork, it didn't matter at this point. You know, whatever. You know, hopefully by you know 17 or 18, I heard things change. I'm not sure. I'm just hoping. You know, they're called people now. They're not just <laughs> widgets that do everything you tell them I to know, do. They're I called know. people. They have their own opinions, and they they want to be their own people. Listen, my question then is this: Were you and Gabby as young parents? Did, were you super protective because of everything you went through? And we will get to that on this show to explain to our audience. Were you super protective with Isabella? Or were you one of the more, for lack of a better words, more advanced liberal parents who wanted to explain things to the child and not keep secrets from her and not tell her things that were harmful or harsh or dangerous and put her in a protective bubble? Uh my wife says I'm the Jewish mother in the relationship. So, you know, I would, I would, you know, walk her everywhere. You know, when she started taking the public, you know, the bus, I would, like, walk her, and she said, go, 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 but I would hide out behind a tree or a car <laughs> to make sure the bus picked her up. You know, just normal, where my wife is more laid back. You know, she's more laissez-faire. You know, she'll be fine, you know, the other Because she's her. from France. Uh, from France. She's you know, from they, France. They, Yes, and they're that, you know, they they have that attitude. You know, case of a hospital, you know. With, what did you know, she so see in you, Michael? She was the question. younger woman. She was that the was, younger woman. You talk about that in Dad. Right. You were Frankly. Why I were you not married at 50 years old or whatever you know, it was? What happened to you? Okay, here's what happened. You know, all your, you know, when you're younger, you say, oh, if I could date that person or if I could date that person. But, you know, being a bit of a nerd and, you know, uh, you know, it didn't happen. You know, I, I, I couldn't. But I think once I became a dentist and then started making a little bit of money, um, you know, things worked out. You know, when people, you know, it just worked out. At that it way, wasn't you know, the so. money, Michael. It was the drilling and it was also the laughing gas. Come on. Yeah, You're talking yeah. to 20 million people in Los Angeles. They know the drill here with den dentistry. Yeah. yeah, yes, they do. You know, but it's funny. You know, you, if I would tell a woman I was a stand-up comic, they go, you know, get away from me. I've you never know? heard of you. You must not be very funny. <laughs> I, you, you know, I'm I'm funny in a, 
we used to call it the zone of power amongst comics. You know, if you're well known, you know, like Romano or somebody that, that you know we know from the past, you know, you, you, you're known everywhere. But if you have a great set, you know, at a hotel in the middle of New Jersey, you're known, you know, in, at the lobby, maybe in the parking lot. But that's where your zone of power stops. But and then as you know, who was that person on stage? Yes, who is that? He person? was pretty good. He was pretty good. We had a good yeah, time. Yeah, he was funny. Why, why aren't you well, more well known? How come? We haven't heard from you. Do you get you that? Know. Look, I get that a lot. You, you know? I know you take this comedy thing seriously, even though yes. your bio says that you've kind of pulled back now. But right. for years, this was a, a full-on thing. Yeah, I was. You know, even though Bill Maher, on his interview with, uh, you know, is behind the brick wall. It's about the improv, and he said, "I had to follow the friggin' dentist you know, when he was in line." <laughs> And everybody, I know who that friggin' dentist is. You know? <laughs> and, you know, I, I was friendly with Bill Maher, you know. He was, he was a, a nice guy, but it's... I don't, but think, I he's that, I don't think he's that funny. You're funnier. <laughs> I read but this I didn't book. Put in my, I put in my dues. You know, hanging out at Catch a Rising Star, you know, guys like Richard Belzer or whoever came in would bump you. And before you went, no, it, it was 2 in the morning. And I had to go on, and then I had to drill it at 10 in the morning, so... Comedy is a mean business, Michael. You mean know business. that. It's mean. mean. It is mean, mean, ruthless, mean. Oh, it could be ruthless. You know, I, I have friends. I have friends that are in their sixties. They think they're going to, hopefully, they're going to be famous tomorrow. They get standing ovations and everything's right, but they, you know, it's it's tough. It's it it's, depends on so many factors. Well, don't you know that everybody in the whole country expects to be rich and famous now? Nobody is nor nobody's real or normal or average. There's no, no such thing. If no. you're not the most famous person that ever lived, you failed. Yeah, and you don't want to put in the work to get to that point. You know, to, and, you, you, and you it just hope takes, it happens. It takes so much work, which brings so, me back. Which brings me back to what I was thinking about starting our our conversation with your early days, your beginning. Your time with your family, your Jewish roots, your Denver, Colorado, your dad, Sid, who owned a strip bar. Where did, what did all this mean? And how did it, how did that affect the fact that you had a dual life as somebody who was serious, who went, who wanted to be a doctor, ended up being a dentist, was educated, smart, but also had to entertain and had to be funny and had to stand up in the middle of the night and do what you did. Where did this all come from? Share that with our audience tonight. Well, you know, I, my mom, the family business was a strip club and a, and a very famous one in Denver, Colorado. It's called Sid King's Crazy Horse Bar. And the dichotomy came because most of my uncles were physicians, doctors on my mother's side. And so... That was instilled in me at the time, you know, you know, in the 70s, late 60s, you know, become a doctor. That's where, you know, the greatest gratification is. That's where you, you know, it's very lucrative. But I didn't, I remember going to my dad's club as a teenager with friends, you know, because it was, I was popular, I think, because of that. You know, we'd always sit in the back in a booth in a darkened corner and we'd watch the show and we'd drink Shirley Temple's and, you know, I watched my dad on stage. He would, Shirley Temples with vodka in them. Right, exactly. And and he would, you know, the love of what, you know, he was the MC, and he would do a Jewish stick, 
introducing the dancers and giving them funny names, which I, you know, some of them aren't probably appropriate for this crowd, but, you know, it, it was, you know, it didn't realize how much that affected me and how much he loved life. And I think as I got older, you know, the importance of loving what you do, no matter what it is, you know, took hold. And that's where I figured I always wanted to make people laugh. I well, you write, to... you write about him anecdotally in this book right, with right. great love and affection. Oh, yeah. With great sympathy for a life that was very challenged, obviously, and had its ups and downs and... And I found that very, very profound. Share with the audience tonight listening, since you brought up the stories of your youth going to Sid's Crazy Horse Bar with your friends, a first date that you wanted to take some girl on in high school and what happened. Do you remember that story in the book? Well, you know, you would, you know, you would ask somebody out and, you know, they seemed like they were nice. I mean... Your male friends, your young male friends, you know, knowing your dad owned a strip club was kind of cool. But it was kind of considered a little sleazy. So you'd ask somebody out and, you know, Mike King, you know, you're 15 years old and they have to get their parents' permission. And frankly, it, it wasn't easy. Some of the, you know, they gave me the thumbs down uh, because of, you know, a strip club. You know what is that? You know, and 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 that was really that was tough. That was that was hard because you know at the same time it was cool, but at the same time I felt embarrassed. To be frank, you know, it was an embarrassing situation. But there was and, a young lady who you called on the phone and you asked her out, and she said, "Wait a minute, Mike, I have to ask my mother first. Then right. what happened? Then what happened?" And then you know. You know, it. There was silence like on the phone. Silence on the phone, and you hear is is Dad Sid King? Yes, and then they hung up. So, looking back fifty years, sixty years, what do you think? Does it does it matter? Did no. it ma how it, does it? it did it no. kill you then? Does it kill you now? No, it, I'm proud of what he did. I mean, you know, as you know, we talked about this before. You know, the, the musical we're doing and. I'm prejudiced, obviously. The music is great. It's called The Lap Dance Kid. It's all about my dad. And it's all about being a 12-year-old growing up with the family business as a strip joint. And it, it, it's poignant to me in, this, in the sense that I learned so much from my dad. I mean, he, he would walk into a room, and this little five foot two man would just light it up. It was just his enthusiasm for living, for being around people, you know, no matter you know, even if he did this, you know, I mean, jumping ahead, you know, he didn't have the club forever, and then, you know, bad times happened, and then he opened a little shoe repair shoe hut, and he had the same enthusiasm, the same love for life, you know, you, you drive up, it was a drive-in shoe repair in a little photo map booth, and wow. you drive up, drop your shoes off. This is a guy who had the biggest burlesque house, probably west of the Mississippi, so well-known. Even the Colorado Museum has a little corner with Sid King's sign. But, you know, you drive up and he had that same enthusiasm. I would watch him and go, hey, we save your souls. Come back. You know, we'll see you tomorrow. And, <laughs> you know, and, and that, that is contagious. It, it, it is. And it's the way we should all be. We should be 
love what we do, no matter what it is. I mean, don't be a sourpuss, you know. And, and that's a message he gave me. And that's a message we all need constantly remind, to be reminded of, me included. Yep. Listen, our first uh, segment is done. We need to take a break so that we can pay for our time together. Okay, sure. We have so much more to talk about. Ladies and gentlemen, you better stick with me on this hour because this conversation is going places. I'm Bruce Cook tonight on Angels Radio, and we're enjoying conversation tonight with Mike King in New York. We'll be right back. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, the Hogue Epilepsy Program is accredited by the National Association of Epilepsy Centers as a Level 4 Epilepsy Center. This means that our experts provide the highest level care for patients with complex epilepsy. Our patient-centered approach to epilepsy treatment combined with state-of-the-art technology, including robotics and laser ablation, ensure the best possible outcomes for our patients. To learn more or for an evaluation, call 949-966-0243 or visit hogue.org forward slash epilepsy care. You have heard us talk on this program about the Balboa Island Museum, located in the middle of Marine Avenue on Balboa Island. August and September are exciting months for the museum with a continuation of art classes for all ages every Wednesday and some special new exhibits. And the next event in the speaker series will feature Angelo Pasciutti, a former Marine sniper and instructor. Angelo will talk about his experiences in the Marine Corps and how he is currently engaged in an effort to rethink how the Marine Corps trains its new recruits. The date is September 21st, starting at 6 p.m. For more information, go to balboaislandmuseum.org. back people bruce cook the conversation tonight angels radio am 830 klaa mike king is my very special guest comic dentist writer creator of a broadway show i have to tell you people if you haven't been listening you've got to hear what this man has to say and you've got to run out or go to your computer and by Dad Spelled Backward, that's the name of the book, Dad Spelled Backward, by Michael King. Michael, I'm going to brag on you as we talk tonight because I think I was most impressed by your writing. I think you are a brilliant writer. Oh, wow. The way you, the way you tell your personal story is so compelling. It actually is so compelling that I felt I knew all of the characters, even though you don't use any last names. I want to know mostly who Richard is, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, this is a life story, ladies and gentlemen, listening tonight, about a love story, about a man meeting a woman, about them wanting to get married eventually, about one the woman especially, as I said earlier, wanting to have a child and then the man coming on board, then finding that they couldn't have their own, and going through the process of doctors and hospitals and procedures and 
uh, in vitro fertilization and testing for sperm counts and pelvic movements. It's very raw and it's very bold. And he talks about his sex life, and they're on and it's honest and it's it's so real. And then they end up deciding after so much heartache that they want to try adopting, and that heartache becomes even more dramatic. So I'm not going to give away the whole book, but I want anybody listening who is in a similar situation, you must read this book. You must read this book. Like I said in the opening, I have no relation to the storyline. I have never gone through these kind of problems. I've never had to deal with this. I know that so many, many people are today, especially couples who find that they cannot uh, produce a child of their own. So not only is this a an emotional ride, not only is it entertaining, but it is a must-read for anybody who is going through what Mike King and Gabriella King talk about in this book. Having said that, and meaning seriously that you are a brilliant writer, you're not being as funny on my show as you are in this book, and I'm getting really not happy with you. Okay. Because, uh, mostly, I'm impressed by, uh, in this basically biography, the funniest parts of this book, Mike, are your uh, italic uh, words to yourself, commenting on what you're seeing, commenting on what you're going through as a, as a uh, commentary against reality about the people you're having to deal with, the situations that you're having to deal with. So share, share with me, because I don't know who Richard is. He's this friend, ladies and gentlemen, in the book who keeps popping in with advice, good and bad. Who is this person, and why is it so important to the story? Well, Richard is kind of a sounding board for me. I mean, even though every other word is a four-letter word. And that's you know, true also. Well, you can't do that on the radio, but go ahead. No, you can't do that on the radio, you know. Yeah. And, again, he's he's my sounding board. You know, he just, he has four kids and um, happily married, but totally down on life. And I have a thing in my comedy, what I talk about is, keep you know, happy marriage is keeping things in your mind. You know, don't, you know, happy wife, happy life, unhappy wife, hide the knife. But, <laughs> All right, you're but, getting better with the fu- the funny. Okay, go ahead. But it's, you know, it, it, if my wife could read my mind, I wouldn't have a wife. You know. So you are know, you saying you just need to shut up? Yeah, you just, you know, it's not worth the argument. It's not worth going through that because it's it's not that important to me, you know, it's, it's I have certain things that are important, you know, but a lot of things that we will discuss as a marriage is not important. And I think a successful marriage is keeping things in your mind, you know. And, you know, and I mean, my wife, you know, she has a very strong personality. And, again, um, you, know, I, I, you know, I just agree. I, I really, I kind of stopped thinking for myself in that relationship because... You know, she's right a lot of the time, and even if she's wrong, she's still right, you know. And, um, you know, she, like she said to me the other day, she, this was, she said, um, you know, uh, I asked her, you know, I didn't realize how bad it was. So I said to her the other day, honey, am, am I hungry? 
And she said, not now. You will be in about 20 minutes. But, <laughs> but, 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 but that's the kind of thing that we go through, you know. But, you know, we have a great relationship. Because My she knows feeling, you so well. Yes, she knows me so well. My feeling is, and I don't do percentage or anything, if you're happy 70% of the time in a relationship, it's, it's a good relationship. And I think we're closer to 90%. You know, I think most people other, barely hit fifty, but that's all right. You're, yeah, you're probably right. You know, and they're or, not keeping less, it in their mind. Or less, <laughs> right? They're, you know, they're, well, you know, that's pretty interesting advice. I never thought of it that way. That's very, actually, very good advice. Keep it in your mind. You know, you should have that little filter. I, I, I think that people. You read about people that, you know, are forty, fifty years of marriage and get a divorce. You ever wonder why? Why bother? because they can no longer keep it in their mind. Well, except maybe it's because they kept it in their mind for 40 years and they, couldn't, right. they couldn't stand it, it any it, longer yeah. and it all came out. Yeah, I, I wish you were dead, you old hag. And oh, Did I say that out loud? <laughs> Some things you just can't take back. Right. Yeah. I've tried to tell my my uh, friends and my children that. You just be careful what no. you say. Some things you just can't take no. it back. And it could be just one word. It could be, you know, like you look at you know your wedding pictures and you say, uh, okay. oh. you don't want you don't want to say, oh, you were oh. so beautiful. You don't <laughs> want to use the word were. You have to change <laughs> this one little word. Will you know for the next three days you'll be miserable. <laughs> at least, at least, yeah, at least. Something else I noticed about your book, and maybe it's just me and my crazy intuition, which is. Usually pretty good, but not always, sort of like what you just described. But Right. And tell me if I'm nuts about this, too, but I think there's so, sort of a weird sense of Jewish mysticism that goes through your writing. And how I picked up on that in a very weird way is that you use numbers sometimes in very odd ways as a writer. For example... Maybe nobody else picks up on this, but when you refer to your hotel room in Shreveport, Louisiana, when you're going to try and get an adoption for your first go-round that falls apart, which we're going to talk about, you don't just say, we went back to our hotel room. You refer to it as room 112. Right. And then later in the book, now you're in Fort Wayne, Indiana, for another really strong experience to try and get an adoption. To go through and again it's not just your hotel room it's room 208 when you're talking about going with Gabby to Walmart back in Shreveport to buy things for the the hopeful adoption of the then child you've named Chloe you don't necessarily talk about all the things you've bought but you talk about the the total on the price slip as 69699 something weird number what is all that about? Well, you know, um, I didn't. I don't think I made a conscientious effort about that. I, I have a diary, and I write down facts. And I, numbers are a big part of my life. You know, um, you know, maybe numerology or something has something to do with it. But I, I didn't. You know, I mean, in the Jewish, you know, tradition, eighteen is the lucky number. Um, maybe it has something to do with that, but I don't think any. No one ever brought that up, you know. But that's very interesting, Bruce. That well, you, it really hit me. I just thought, I don't know. It's, there's something here. And by the way, I, I think I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's definitely it doesn't really add to the story, but it, it it 
No, no, I don't think many people will pick up on that, but it, for some reason it hit me. And it also, because as a writer, I really appreciated the fact that your description was so brief and crisp. You did not go on and on and on with ad nauseous uh, description of the situations. It was just so to the point. And you concentrated on the feelings and the observations of people. Like, for example, I, I think the most vivid description, and I want you to share some of this with the audience. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I referred to the fact that Mike and Gabby had gone through some really tough times trying to find uh, an adoption that actually worked out. And one of the times was with a very, very difficult situation in Louisiana, and particularly with the adoptive mother who kept changing her, her mind. She was going to give the child. She wasn't. It was a teenager adoption. Uh, her name was Ashley, and her family included her mother, Sharon, and her brother, Terry, and some very strange characters. When We, we have to take our, our next break, Mike, but when we come back, I want you to share that story as best you can with the audience uh, and be as candid and honest as about it as you can with how you dealt with that whole horrible up-and-down situation. People, you've got to hear this story, so don't go away. we got a break. We'll be back in two minutes. I'm Bruce Cook. I'm with Michael King in New York. So much more to talk about. cultural experience in Newport Beach? It's happening right now at the Balboa Island Museum, located in the heart of the business district on Marine Avenue in Balboa Island. Voted the best museum in Orange County for a second straight year. Captivating exhibits depict the history of Balboa Island and Newport Beach. And the best part is, it's free. The museum is hosting some fun summer events, including art classes for all ages. Check out their website for more information at balboaislandmuseum.org. <laughs> It is an honor to talk with you about the Balboa Island Museum on this program. In addition to offering a unique perspective on the colorful history of Newport Beach, the museum conducts numerous events serving the local community, but can't do it without your support. The third annual Balboa Island Fun Zone Festival is coming up November 17th, titled Denim and Diamonds. It'll be at Bun Shindig with a country western band, barbecue, games, and a live auction. Sponsorship opportunities are available and tickets are now on sale. Go to balboaislandmuseum.org for more information. <laughs> I hope you all feel like dancing tonight and every night, everybody listening here on Angels Radio. I'm Bruce Cook. It's the conversation tonight with Michael King, author, dentist, comic, father, husband, brilliant guy. If you're just tuning in, I plug the fact that I wanted Mike to talk about a section of his book, Dad, Spelled Backward, where he encountered a very, very tough situation in Shreveport, Louisiana, where he and Gabby, his wife, had gone to hopefully adopt a baby. Paint the picture for us a bit, Mike, if you can. All right. So adoption works. I'll just briefly summarize. You know, you 
hire adoption lawyers, different ways to do it, and you get a facilitator, and they give you an 800 number, and you pay that facilitator to put ads in local papers in different areas of the country where, you know, the adoption rules are, uh, you know, they're advantageous where you don't have to wait as long um, after you um, meet the child because sometimes, you know, it can take, you know, in the old days, they would two years and they could, rec- you know, want the child back. But so they put ads in all these papers and, you know, without being specific, uh, and ads could run at the time, you know, eight, ten thousand for a round of ads. Some people get very lucky, and in the first round, you know, they find a child that is in need, and, and it works out. We were doing about four years of ads at this point. Um, they would run, an ad length would be about six to eight weeks. So at one point, you know, at this time we had hardly even met any of the adopted, uh, you know, the parents. Uh, we hardly met them, so they would, um, we got to the stage where um, somebody called us on the phone on the 800 number, we called them back, and they looked at, you know, you have an adoptive album, you know, that, that you make with showing, you know, your life and what it would be like and that you would be good parents. And so looking at our album, they chose us. So we flew out to Indiana, uh, to uh, Louisiana to uh, meet the the, par- the uh, prospective um, mother who was kind enough to uh, consider us for adoption. And that's where it all started. So we went out, I think this, we went out once, and then we went out again uh, a few days before she was ready to deliver. And that's where the story really takes a turn because, you know, we go there and um, to, without getting everything, the mother-in-law took me aside and we fly in there and the daughter's all excited. You know, you're going to, you know, you're going to be great parents. And the mother-in-law took me aside and she says, you're not going to get this child. Talk about unbelievable devastation. You handled it quite well in the book. But again, I loved your your uh, comments to yourself in the italic versions where you were basically doing what we talked about, keeping it in your mind, even though you were ready to strangle. Uh, I was using a lot of F-words in my mind. Um, you know, I'm not being derogatory, but, you know, the mother-in-law... You know, and you can't judge people, don't you know, but you do. You know, it's natural. We judge people all the time, even though you're not supposed to. But, you know, uh, she had certain tattoos on her body, um, and one of them was a swastika. Now, can you assume they're sympathetic towards, you know, Nazis or, or not? I don't know, you know, but um, it was it was like that. She had wanted us nothing... I, I don't know if she knew we were Jewish. She may have. Um, but from from how was, I read it, I don't think so. <laughs> from how I read it, I don't think so. I don't think she yeah. was smart enough to know that. Right, right. I think that how you described it is someone who just was so stubborn and so willful, she was going to have her way. And in the end, she did. The daughter changed oh, yeah. her mind back and forth. It was a horrible situation for you oh. and your wife. Horrible. Oh, it was 
especially for my wife. I mean, to go through the emotional roller coaster of thinking, you, you know, it's just the idea that this child is going to be yours. It's just that idea that's implanted in your mind kind of makes her yours, you know, and even though you physically they're not there yet, you know, that idea and to think, you know, it's all encompassing. It's that finally, after four years, we have somebody, we got somebody, we, we have somebody to love, and then they took it away. And they say, well, she can't do it. A day later, I can do it. We've changed you know? our mind. We think you're great. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. We, right. We talked to the social worker. And again, let me paraphrase this. I, I know how hard it is for the birth mom. I'm totally sympathetic toward them. I, I think, you know, I, I can't say enough about the birth moms to be able to go through this. Um, and I'm not belittling them at all. You know, and, and, you know, but the mother-in-law had such an influence. She was, you know, like a devil to us every time we'd go there. And so once we we're almost, we we're at the airport, on our way to the airport, leaving Louisiana, and they recalled us to come back. She changed her mind yet again. What I and loved, so we, what I loved after all of the horrible situation of, of having the child, not having the child, your humor about the naming of the child and how these people were obsessed oh. with the movie Gone with the Wind and they wanted to name the baby Bonnie Blue after the child that died <laughs> in Gone with the Wind and you were freaking yeah. out who wants to name a child Bonnie Blue. Yeah. And <laughs> and all and the and the and the the teenage father who wanted to be a radio host, bless his heart, right. um, and and him I'm trying to impress you, and I, I I love the fact that at the end of it, mostly because of how you described your wife handling it and being so so understanding of how hard it was for this young woman to finally say, "I can't give you this child. Bonnie Blue has to stay with us." You said something that made me laugh so hard, and. Maybe it's insensitive, but and I'm paraphrasing it because I didn't write it down. But you said, you know, we have to be philosophical about this. We have to think about. Uh, we hope that this child will have a great life. And you talked about the fact that there are kids that grow up in difficult circumstances that have end up having a fabulous life that go on to do amazing things just as well as a kid that grows up in privilege. Mm -hmm. And then in the italics, you said what you're really thinking is. This poor little girl is going to end up growing up in a beat-up Toyota instead of a Lexus. Right. <laughs> and that, I, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. I guess that's materialistic, but that made me laugh because well, there you I go. It's a, reality. Yeah, I wanted to, you know, uh, you know, jingle keys in front of her, you know, with one <laughs> the old Toyota and one with a new Lexus. Which one do you want, baby? And, and I'm, I'm not trying to be, you know... It's pretty horrible. I'm sorry I brought that yeah. up. But I'm not, I'm not trying... You know, to be, you know. Uh, I know, you know, I know, I know. But it's, the, but it's true. That's what was so great because you were so bare honest in your commentary on your own yeah. situation that you couldn't actually say it's again. No. Keep it in your mind, and you keep kept it in your it, mind. Keep it in your mind. And you know, and it, you know, no matter how tough it is, how bad it is, you know, um, you have to go on. You have to move on, and that was. That was tough. I mean, I, we've never experienced anything like that, and I hope I never will. It's just... Well, it, you, there's a happy ending, and that's coming up on our last segment, Mike. 
um, as we go into our final commercial break, I want to I'm I'm going to praise you once again. And I'm gushing, and I forgive me. I don't like to gush because hosts are supposed to be tough, and they're not supposed to be so friendly with their their interviewees because they seem weak, I guess. But <clears throat> I don't know. I know this book published in 2022. I don't know how long it took you to write it. I don't know where it's been or where it's going. But the minute I finished it, I said, this needs to be a film. This would be a really spectacular movie. Do you know Larry David? Do you know Adam Sandler? Do you know Jay Seinfeld? You need to get, if you haven't already, you've got to get this book in their hands. Adam Sandler or Jerry Seinfeld needs to play you. And Larry, and Larry David needs to produce it. So with that, we're going to take our third and final break. And when we come back, I want you to share the happy ending of meeting the family in in Indiana and Isabella's story. Will you do that? Looking forward to it. Thank you. Bruce. Stay with me, everybody. This has been a really good ride. It ain't done yet, though. The Bruce Cook Conversation. We're live tonight. L.A. to New York. We'll be right back. As part of the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, Hoag's Neurospine Program offers innovative methods to reduce pain, inflammation, and improve mobility safely and effectively, often without surgery. Should you need surgery, Hoag is a leader with minimally invasive techniques, 3D imaging, and robotics to restore your golf swing or your swing dance. Many of our patients go home in just a few hours, walking the very next day. Call our dedicated nurse navigator at 949-537-2931 for an evaluation or visit hoag.org forward slash you have heard us talk on this program about the Balboa Island Museum, located in the middle of Marine Avenue on Balboa Island. August and September are exciting months for the museum with a continuation of art classes for all ages every Wednesday and some special new exhibits. And the next event in the speaker series will feature Angelo Pasciutti, a former Marine sniper and instructor. Angelo will talk about his experiences in the Marine Corps and how he is currently engaged in an effort to rethink how the Marine Corps trains its new recruits. The date is September 21st, starting at 6 p.m. For more information, go to BalboaIslandMuseum.org. Every radio host needs a little hip-hop in his life. So there you go, people. I'm Bruce Cook. It's a conversation tonight. We're talking to Michael King about Dad Spelled Backwards, his biography, his very personal biography about he and his wife seeking to adopt a child. We close our time together tonight talking about the success of that adoption after a very, very long struggle. And I'd like Mike to share some of that story about finally finding the child that would become theirs in Indiana. Mike, please share some of that story. Um, again, this is about four years, at least, into the adoption with the multiple, almost, and a couple very close. And then we get a phone call um, that, again, they looked at our adoption al album, and they're having this, they chose us 
and they wanted to meet us. So we flew out to uh, Indiana, and a small town outside of Fort Wayne, uh, to meet the um, mom, who happened to be a teenager, and from a, a nice home. And at this point, I have to say, you know, we're almost suffering from PTSD, from the crazy stuff we went through before, and the and the letdowns, and, you know, it was very traumatic, very emotional, a lot of grieving. And so I, at this point, I'm kind of skeptical, you well, know. Let, my me wife is, let me interrupt you for a second. How did that play on your personal marriage at this point after years of dealing with this? Were you still keeping it in your mind, or was there trouble between you and Gabby? No. We got even closer. Okay. Uh, because we just, it made us closer because... To survive that and to be together, we had each other. So no matter what happened on the other end, whether we got a child or not, we we still had each other, you know, and we knew we would survive. And even though it was so hard, and I mean, I can't, in the book I try to describe it as best I can of what the feeling we have after, but it it was like losing somebody. And, and so we stayed tight. And so, again... Gabby is still enthusiastic. She thinks this one is it. And why me, in my mind, I didn't, you know, I agreed, sure, it's it. But in my mind, it's... it's What else could happen? What else could go wrong? We're going to go through this again. Oh, my God. So we fly out there. We go meet them at their house. um, Life's a little suburb. um, And, you know, there she is ready to deliver, and they met us, they continued to like us, and then we decided, you know, two months or six weeks later, we get a call um, that she's ready to deliver in a couple, you know, in a day or two. Come out. The worst snowstorm in years. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) I don't know how much detail you want me to go into. The worst we're going to miss the delivery. <laughs> we tried. I almost, you know, I was going to charter a plane or anything, you know. A, re- a flying carpet. Right. You know, we'll, we'll take a scooter anyway, you know, with, with no tires. Get us there. Um, and it was, it was like, you know, a perfect storm. There's no way to get there. We had to fly to Dallas. You yeah, know? You, it was like Atlanta, Dallas, wherever. Yeah. 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 So we fly to Dallas, I believe, and, you know, that's the only place we could find, got us out, you know, got there, she already delivered. You know, in my mind, that's it. Here it goes again. You know, we another child, how are we going to keep on doing this? How much longer can we do this? I, I, you know, I get to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. And, but again... Then you walked walked into the hospital, and there she was holding the baby, and your heart sank. No, no. You know, you don't want them to bond with the child. That's what happened with Ashley. Right. Bonding. You mean mean Bonnie Blue. Bonnie Blue, yeah. Yeah. You know, so, you know, they, you don't want that. You know, the, the less distance. There she is, in a corner, sitting on a chair, holding what I thought was no longer a baby. 
And I'm going to stop you there because we only have three minutes. I'm going to wrap it up and I'm going to say, I know what happened. She handed the baby to you, to your wife, and said she's yours. And that was it. And lived happily ever after. It was unbelievable. It was like the best feeling in the world. So the, question, the papers were signed. The papers were signed. No more drama. So the question no is, in our last minute or two together, what do you want to share with people that are listening tonight or who are going to read this book about the experience and what it has meant, if you can sum that up, if it's not asking too much of you? The love of a child, there's nothing like it in the world. I tell my friends, comics, you don't have child. If you don't know the difference, but once you're experiencing that, there's nothing to replace it. And I'm telling people, if they're thinking of having a child, if they're on the fence, adopt, borrow, become close to your nephews or your nieces, establish a relationship or bond, you know, whatever means you need. The love of a child is what it's all about. And I'm thoroughly convinced that's what the most important thing is, to have that bond. What a, what a great show tonight. What a great conversation. Thank you so much. Um, well, thank you, Bruce. Tell our audience where they can find this book. Uh, you can find it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, uh, any of their websites. Um, we're there, um, and hopefully you'll enjoy the story as much as I enjoyed writing it and sharing it with people. I know you will. I know they will. I know you did. Um, and and wrap us up by telling us about the show you're working on. The show we're working on now is the Lap Dance Kid. Again, it's a it's about a 12 year old boy who's about to be bar mitzvahed, and he's going. He finds out that his neighborhood tavern that his father owned for years suddenly becomes a notorious strip joint. And well, how he goes through life and handling that. Let's leave it at that, because the only last question I have is, how do we make a pediatric uh, dental appointment with you in New York? Uh, just look at Fun Dentists, plural. FunDentist.com. And there we go. That's it for our show tonight. Thank you, Mike King. All the best to you, Gabby and Isabella. Thank you for your time. Thank you for writing this book. Ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Bruce. It's an honor being on the air and being able to talk to people like Mike King. You take care of yourselves, listeners, and you come back again for the conversation on Angels Radio. Good night. You've been listening to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Hear the Bruce Cook Conversation on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific on AM830 KLAA. And hear the podcasts of every show on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public.